perfect pitch just match the ha 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 Oh dear, this is going to be a silly one, isn't it? <laughs> hey boomers, welcome once again to Sonic the Comic the Podcast, your fortnightly guide to the Sega Sational world of the 1990s and the UK's official Sega comic, Sonic the Comic. We, as always, are your humans who think we're in charge. I am Chris McFeely. And I am Dave Vollmer. And free inside this issue, we have a giant Sonic and Tails poster. Tell me this and tell me no more, Dave. <laughs> do you have the poster? No. No, I don't either. I don't have it in either of the two physical copies oh, of this no. comic that I have, which means that me and Abby both put it up, which which does means- suggest mm. that it might be that poster that I've been trying to source all this time. The one that I had up on my wall of Sonic and Tails as seen through a big giant gold ring in the special zone running towards you in a Sonic 2 styly special zone tube pipe thing. That does sound familiar. Uh, no, the copy I have here is not my original copy, but I'm almost most certain I did remove the poster mm. from mine as well, and that that does sound familiar. Mm. And it does specifically say it's a giant Sonic, Sonic and Tails, Tails yeah. poster. I think so that's it. I think that, that must be. Fit. Which means that that poster has been up on my wall since. Well, what's the date on this one, Chris? In the real date? Yes, this issue came out on eleventh of June, nineteen ninety-four. Cover dated June twenty-fourth. Yes. So that is. It is since then. For what must be 26 years, because we're a persistent 26 years apart from the release of these comics, that that's... For now, anyway. (laughs) That that has been on my bedroom wall, because it's still there now. Oh, it's still there at home? Oh, yeah. You couldn't FaceTime your mum and get her to take the phone into the bedroom or something. You have a point there, haven't you, Chris? I'll, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll post it to the Twitter. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. It does say on the control zone inside that the poster was by Carl Flint. Yeah, um, yeah. And that sounds, that's the image It was I a Carl Flint, mind. for I mean, sure. Though, to be honest, that's probably like most <laughs> pieces of pin-up art of Sonic and Tails probably, produced yeah. for this and the poster, Mike. Yeah. But I don't know, I'm, t- I'm taking that as a strong lead. I think that's it. I think we've found it. I think I know where it comes from. If only it was still here. It sounds right. Yes. But what else is on the cover? Because this is a oh, weird one. This is a weird, a weird one, one. Boomers. So the whole thing, it's a red-coloured background on this. It's one of those where you've just got a solid colour background and then things breaking through as if they were tearing through the page. Not the first time we've had yes. that effect. And what's tearing through on this occasion, well, mostly is... The big silver skull from the Sega adverts of the time. Yes. We've talked about these ads a few times in the past. Um, but for context, yes. given now, is that um, Sega were running a series of adverts in the UK uh, about the idea that there was a Sega pirate TV channel that was breaking into ordinary television transmissions. And conveniently, it only ever broke in during the commercial breaks. <laughs> <laughs> but the mascot of this thing was was this computer-generated skull wearing an eye patch. Yeah. And, uh, and that is the face that is smashing through here, along with the human host of the... Uh, of these adverts, he was portrayed by an actual actor named Stephen O'Donnell in the commercials, but just a drawing here, obviously. A man in a fez. Yes. Yes. These are, as we will learn inside, Fez Head and Skull, who are the stars of the new series, Pirate STC. Pirate STC is in control, claims the cover. Yeah. As, as Skull sucks a load of kids into his mouth. It is weird. 
It is weird. We'll talk more about how weird it is, but just for yeah. now, take it from us, it's drawn weird. Even the cover, there's this is an odd art style. Yeah. Although I think it's toned it down a bit for the cover. It's it's a little it bit more palatable here. You can understand what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Although you're left to decide for yourself whether the kid deepest in the skull's mouth right now has f- four pupils in their eyes or is just dizzy. <laughs> I'd go with Dizzy. I'm going with Dizzy. genuinely wouldn't know for sure, (laughs) based on the cover alone. Oh, and also it says, take a prowl. (laughs) Tails is back. Bit uh, strangled there. That's torture. That's torture, that one. (laughs) Take a prowl? Yeah, that's... mm. His name's already a pun, you know? <laughs> yes. Double, doubling up your puns there. Yeah. It does seem so strange that Tails is back already, doesn't it? It does. It doesn't feel like it's been any time at all since he was last in the show. No, but oh, then... the show. <laughs> in the comic. <laughs> Friend of the show, Tails. <laughs> all right. What we got going on inside? Well, we've got a strange opening to the welcome screen from... Megatroid this time. Yeah, I'll I'll read it. You provide the context. Okay. (laughs) Hey, boomers. A Hume once told all the other Humes they'd never had it so good under his leadership. Well, the same applies to all of you out there. Yes, this issue means you've never had STC so good. For the, uh... I was going to say the Americans, but for the Americans, the young people... Basically, you know, most people in the audience... (laughs) Harold Macmillan was a British Prime Minister, a Conservative Prime Minister, just after the war. Or was it when? It was in the 50s. In the 50s. And I think it was actually just after he said this. He was elected on the on the back of saying this. It was part of his campaign. This was during the time of, basically, austerity being lifted after the war. And what a big surprise. When you lift austerity... Um, the country gets nicer and everything's kind of nice. So he was able to do a speech. I know. He was able to do a speech where he said, you know, you've you've never had it so good. I don't know the exact wording of it, but it was most of the people in this country have never had it so good. And he was careful to say most because, of course, there was great poverty going on as mm. there always is. But um, what a bizarre reference to me. Such a weird reference for STC. That a 1950s... Because the idea that you've never had it so good... I mean, did he? surely he didn't originate the saying. Do, do you know what? He might have. He actually might have done. There because is that's the, just something you say. And it might have been because of this guy. It's because I know what you mean. It seems so... It's not like a special turn of phrase or anything. He's just saying, like, well, you've had it good. But if you think about it, had it so good, there's a certain... It certainly, when I was doing my research about this, he certainly popularised the phrase. But what is it about this issue that means we've never had it so good? Well, We've got I mean, the final chapter of the Sonic Terminator, for starters. I'm not arguing with him. This is STC at what we would have been forgiven to have thought was the, the, peak. the best it was ever going to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? This is a great issue. Certainly it was the best that it had ever been up till now. <laughs> No, you know what? I, I'm going to throw a qualifier on that, is that upon opening the comic, it would certainly have been logical for us to believe Oh my that, god! Yeah, that we were entering into that. You know, once we move into the back half of the comic, I, I feel like that becomes a debatable position. Yes, agreed, but the front half is so strong. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, Megadroid is telling us that we've got the thrilling climax of Sonic Terminator, then we've got the penultimate Streets of Rage. It's Tales not the penultimate, though. It's the fourth. Is it? 
I was confused for a second. Oh. Yeah, he says the explosive penultimate episode. He says of penultimate. Ranch. Yeah, but it's only episode four. I was like, surely it's not over yet. We're only halfway through, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you just got that wrong. Fair enough. Yeah. He's just eager to see it gone. <laughs> <laughs> not me. I no, like heck it. No, no, not at all. And we got Tales in part one of the Morbidden Hunt. And we got Speedlines and we got Graphic Zone and then... Yeah, the Graphic Zone's back. And then we've got uh, finally make sure you're cashed up for the arrival on the 18th of June of the STC Summer Special. We're going to have to get together oh, soon, yeah. Chris. That'll be next week then. Yeah. Because also the same week, Sonic the Poster Mag number five, same day. Yeah. Oh my word, so gosh. Busy, busy times coming oh, up again. God, we're going to be busy next yeah. weekend, aren't we? I won't next- book anything two of those things next weekend yeah i'll cancel my holiday <laughs> oh where were you heading off to the next room <laughs> yeah i was thinking of having to go to the toilet <laughs> and then uh and then all that's left now megadroid says is to make stc 29 even better for starters there's a chance to win one of three multi-megas oh genuine exciting courtesy yeah. of kellogg's frosties See the inside back cover of this issue for more details. It's great! It's fu- Well, first of all, it's funny that he says multi-megas with lowercase m's. Yes. Like it's not the name of something. But I had no memory of that competition. No! I mean, why would you? It's only a competition. But No, but I would because I would have been so excited to yeah. maybe get my hands on one. For something that when we saw it in the news zone a couple of issues ago, we were like, yeah, it's probably never came out, did it? Did, 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 <laughs> Yeah, did it actually did. Not only did it come out, but they were giving them away free in the comic a few issues later, and we have no memory of it. <laughs> yeah. Over on the right, uh, the Sega bus is coming. Do you know? Maybe this isn't. Maybe this isn't podcast worthy, but uh, the world is in such a weird place right now. It's like when I read this, I was like, yeah. oh, once again, the two Sega buses are set for their nationwide tour, and in my mind, I know that I'm reading something from the past. I know know I'm reading something that was upcoming and scheduled to happen. So because of where the world is right now, the first thing my brain does is... I'll be cancelled then. <laughs> That's what my yeah. brain does. Is like I just assume any act of enjoyment or, or, or anything that's going on outside of the home yeah. has just been cancelled. Those kids queuing in the picture are standing too close exactly, together. Exactly, they're standing too close together. And I wish that I was making a joke, but this is what my brain genuinely is throwing up right now. Ugh, I know. The tour dates are a bit hard to read, but it says on the 18th and 19th of June, they were at uh, Biggin Hill International Airfare and the Royal Welsh Show. Uh-huh. And on the 25th and the 26th of June, they were at the Wandsworth Show, Woodford Air Show, and or Manchester Youth Games. <laughs> I mean, none of these names mean anything to me. They mean anything no. to you? No. No, none of it's familiar at all. I mean, I, I like to imagine the Royal Welsh Show is where they just sort of parade the Welsh around for everybody to go <laughs> at, but, you know, for the Royals to go, oh, look at them. Oh, they're so quaint. And we own these, do we? But uh, I don't actually know what any of those things are, no. No. Oh, well. Oh, wait, just a minute. Yeah. I did once... I was once taken to something that may have been called the Royal Show. But it... But And so maybe the Royal Welsh Show is when they do that in Wales. In but the Wales, one, the one that I went to was... There was a bit of horse riding, but mostly you were just walk, sort of walking around a makeshift fair. Mm-hmm. And there was a robot. It says they're also scheduled to visit selected Haven and Pontins holiday camps during the summer month, which I'll be completely honest with you, sound like made-up places. <laughs> no, you never heard of Pontins. That doesn't stretch as far as Ireland. I mean, I feel like I probably have, but it 
also sounds like a non-trademark <laughs> infringing name that would be used in a comic or TV show to refer to someplace like Butlins. So well, I can't swear that it's real. <laughs> Pontins is definitely a Butlins, but Haven, I will agree with you, does sound made up. That's presumably why they went with it, because it's a good name for that sort of thing. But still, now my objection I don't is know, that... sounds uh, like uh, urban legend to me. <laughs> my objection is that the uh, it, once again the two Sega buses are set for their nationwide tour. Surely last time we were looking at fleets. They did mention a fleet, didn't they? Yeah, but... there's got to have been more than two. The Sega Charts. FIFA's beat Sonic Three again. Boo! Let's move on. Yeah, non movers in the Sega Charts. The Sonic Terminator Part 5 Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, and letters by Steve Potter And pay attention, because this is complicated (laughs) The Time Stone, right, provided by his future self, transports Sonic into the past But the stone disappears in the process Sonic finds the machine used by Dr. Robotnik to transform the Miracle Planet before it has completed its evil work and ventures inside to discover that it is powered by the Time Stone. When Sonic removes the stone, the machine falls apart, ensuring that it will never grow to cover the planet. Using the stone, Sonic returns to the future, arriving only moments before he left, and hands the stone over to his past self, who races off to complete the causality loop and alter the past. Before Sonic's eyes, time reorders, with the machine destroyed in the past, the Miracle Planet returns to normal, and the confused metallics, created by the same technology, simply fades out of existence. You get all that? (laughs) And that's in seven pages, boomers. I bet this is a coincidence, but the style of storytelling here meshed so perfectly with Sonic in the Fourth Dimension that it just was like the ultimate Sonic story. It cemented the kind of story I'm interested in. It was exactly what I wanted to read. I love it not just because it's got that time travel vibe, which... I already loved anyway. As I said, we're not 100% sure if we'd read Fourth Dimension before this or not. I think I yeah. had, so I was already in love with that kind of thing anyway. I think so, yeah. But I love... It, it, to me, it cements the severity of Metallics's threat in that he couldn't beat him. Yeah. The only way he could actually defeat this implacable oh, Terminator yeah. was to actually erase him from history. You know what? Now you mention that, that does explain my approach to fanfiction when I started writing Sonic fanfics shortly later. Me and my friend had this thing we used to do. Oh, this was fun. And this was the friend that me and, me and him used to pour over this, especially this mm. issue. We used to have this thing where one of us would write a chapter, which would be, you know, like a page or two pages, of un-get-outable, unsolvable problems. And then the next one had to write the next oh, you'd, part. you'd run robbing it off. <laughs> yeah, and it was, and it wasn't even like, aha, I've put you in this situation. Like, I think we were each essentially trying to end the story, but then the other one was like, no, I know what I can do here. Yes, and. and we, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it came from this. This, yeah, it's unbeatable, so you have to break the rules of the universe to do it. I, I, call me simple, but I flipping love that sort of story still. No, I, yeah. 
I mean, one of the most fun things I think we both agree is um, after Sonic travels back into the past and does his <laughs> dirty business, uh, when he returns to the present, the fifth page of this issue is simply reprinted from the sixth yeah. page of the previous issue, where last issue we saw things from the perspective of our Sonic, the present day Sonic, yeah. um, and now we, now we still are. We still no are. Our Sonic yeah. is now the future self seen in that story. As a miserable old adult, I realize now, of course, primarily this means Richard Elson only got paid for six pages this fortnight instead of the regular seven, but... Uh... <laughs> We don't know that for sure. We ought to find out. <laughs> I mean, he didn't draw another page, so... He didn't draw another page, but, you know, maybe it was a flat rate. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt it. miserable adult, so... Yeah, there is an awful lot going on in this one. Mm. It, it, like, there's no room to breathe, to be honest. It, it doesn't feel rushed or cramped, nope. but it's got to just slam one after the other. Yep. And... and Another thing that's great about it is that it is the mechanics of the game again. There's yeah. no question. It's it's so obvious that, and we know from last issue looking at the script, that, that Nigel Kitching had played the game and knew how it worked. Uh -huh. Sonic runs and has to reach a certain speed and keep going to travel back in time, like in the game. And he travels back to whenever the past is still nice and green and clear. And he Now, in the game there, I think in the game they're just um, teleporters that are transporting the badniks back in time oh are they i never knew what I those so. were i've always thought of them as this but yeah well yeah so have i because <laughs> but but yes i mean the, the way that the games worked was there are three time zones in every level there's the past the present and the future um and the future is like a mechanical hellscape but if you travel back into the past and in the past version of the level find the machine that's hidden in it and bop the machine when you go to the future, it's a nice, peaceful, wonderful future where there are no robots because you changed you changed history by taking out the machine before it could work its evil work upon the upon the planet, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what happens here. Except in in this case, it's uh, it's a machine that grows to cover the planet. One thing that I've realised actually just now looking at this is that it's possible that reading this story the first time, you might have gone, well, "It's a bit handy that." There's a time stone that shows up. There's a magic time machine stone that he can just use for this story and that's it. But so it's lucky that they set that up, isn't it? In the Sonic's world just previously. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. That is yeah. so much subtly but so much heavy lifting was accomplished yeah. by by the Sonic's world strip. I like the um the mystery of it though mm. because it uh, the way it uh it disappears yeah. from Sonic's hand when he arrives in the past because it has to because yeah. he can't still have it because he needs to get it from the past yeah. to take it to the future to give to himself. So it's kind of like uh like, where did it come from? Where did it go? It doesn't matter. It's Got just no part joke, of yeah. history. It's just out there, a, a little cog in the ground machine of time and space. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And the, that's the thing. When it comes down to things like, oh, you know, you were never built, so he disappears and so on, there is a certain... You have to be clever enough to follow it. Like, we had this language with, I suppose, Back to the Future and things like that, but, like... yeah. I don't know. Something about this reading it made me feel clever as a twelve-year-old. I certainly didn't have any trouble understanding it. Uh, to, no, to be honest, that, that if there is one criticism I generally have of the Sonic Terminator overall, yeah. and because I, I remember feeling this when I read it at the time when he goes, "You were never built," mm -hmm. so I, I, my reaction was, uh, "Okay, I guess Metal Sonic." 
I, I get I, my, my reaction was okay I guess but I don't feel not because the idea is set up in the previous issue where metallic says the technology that produced me yeah. also made this metal world the planet is part of me yeah but to me that's saying the opposite it's putting himself first and then saying the planet came from it as well. You know, uh, if, the, if the line had been something like, I am also a product of the technology that made this world. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I doubt, I know for certain when I read it originally and even now after, after reading, rereading it, the idea that the metal miracle planet predated and precipitated the creation of metallics uh -huh. is not something that's spelled out. It's not. Uh, that, it's not something that we are told. So so whenever he ceases to exist, it's like, it is a kind of, oh, okay. Mm. It's, it's kind of the feeling you get at the end. Okay, I mean, it's like, I'm not, like, I get it, but but okay. I think then that is the perhaps the moment I was thinking of where my response was like, oh, like, oh, he came mm. out of the machine. Because we see, I, I don't know if we've, I don't know how much we've mentioned it, but you see that machinery snaking its tendrils across the planet in the past. Yes. And, you know there are pipes coming out of it and gripping the ground and spreading and so yeah but we was... know he was built in a lab in a tube oh wait yeah well no i think what he did i think what robotnik did is he seeded this machine whenever in the past oh well that would explain why the head at the end of the chain is outdated Oh, <laughs> you're right. There we go. You see, yeah, we, you see this, we no prized it. It's all good. This issue can still produce that feeling even today. <laughs> it's definitely not on purpose. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, we did we did point it out that the uh, the Robotnik head at the end of the chain on Mobius and on the Miracle yeah. Planet is old style because it's lifted straight out of the game. Yeah, yeah. It's old style Robotnik, so that obviously must mean that Robotnik put this plan into motion prior to the beginning of Girl Trouble. Yeah, sorted. <laughs> Which is why Sonic's world drew the old Robotnik when he was looming over the time stone ah, menacing like yes, that. it all fits together. <laughs> you know, it's a, there are no errors here. <laughs> Let's make one last mention of how stellar the artwork is, mm, because yes. it goes, oh, yeah. it does go without saying now at this point, because this is part of Richard Elson's run. But when you open the comic for the first time, there's another. He's managed to pull out another strikingly brilliant drawing of Metal Sonic for us to look at on the on the first page mm -hmm. it's just great his eyes are all zappy he's all metal i don't know what it is about it but it's so satisfying and exciting to look at and this continues on all the way through all the depictions of the machinery the beautiful I landscape i love the machine yeah i love the way that the machine is permanently cast even though like in an in-universe sense it doesn't make any sense <laughs> but the machine is like green yeah. but the areas of shadow on the machine are this magenta yeah it's, very, it's all it's all it's all the evil colors it's green and purple it's the secondary yeah. colors um and it, i mean if you look at the facing page you can see that's the color of the machines yep. on the surface of the miracle planet um yeah he's consistently uh, given them no matter what the lighting source is he's given them a and it's a, a different color of magenta. shadow. Yeah. It looks great. Oh. There's a little bit of Kirby tech, to be honest. That one machine with the little squiggly lines and the dots and the circuit panels. Yeah. I just love how sickly it looks. Yeah. But that's you know that's all part of the idea that it is some nasty, polluting, invasive. It's like a life form almost. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. I 
It's so good. It's really good. I know. F- find, finding new things to say about Richard Elson's art when he has, you know, perfected his craft, essentially, at this point, yeah. is difficult. But that's the end of the Sonic Terminator, then. Oh, and wow. what a time it was. God, yeah. To be through it. I, are you not surprised we got this far with the podcast that we'd like? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you never... Uh, yeah, but it's a testament to how much we love... Uh, yeah. We love this comic, it turns out. Yes. It's not just some weird, like, memory thing that doesn't stand up to being revisited. No, it absolutely does. This is exactly as good as I thought it was. But then I feel like maybe if you or I were doing a blog on our own about it, we probably might have lost interest by now, but... Yeah. It's the fact that we're here having fun talking about it. Going, oh, do you remember Woolworths and <laughs> little cans and video cassettes? I mean, with and Harold McMillan. Refuse. Refuse. Oh, the review zone's full of color again this month. Oh, more color than usual. Too. Yeah. yeah, every every column is a different color this time. Yeah, we got reviews here for Dune Two: The Battle for Arrakis. This game, I know nothing of. No, but it seems to have gone down very well with Mr. David Gibbon, who has done all three reviews this issue. Yeah. Although I do observe that the majority of the text on this review is describing the plot of Dune. Yes, the, I think he's either read the book or watched the... Uh, oh yeah, Dave Gibbon likes Dune. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that came out sounding damning. And then like, for the last paragraph or so, he actually talks about the game. It's a strategy game, anyway, and he says it's very easy to get into. Um, best strategy game available is what the, uh, the the Fast Facts box says, but it's got very basic graphics. Yeah. Now, I think that Dune 2 actually may still be held up as a tentpole game. Well, I said it received critical acclaim on the Amiga and the PC. Yeah, I, I think basically it was the game that introduced the strategy war style game that led to Command and & Conquer and Warcraft. No, oh, odd type of game. I also don't care about <laughs> <laughs> i briefly dabbled i cared about red alert on the pc that was a fun game for the you know three levels i managed to get through before i couldn't do it anymore because <laughs> it was too hard but that's just how i played games my brother liked him i tried but i couldn't get into yeah. it like similarly like now the next review over here is the lost vikings yeah and i don't even remember i don't think i played it at all um when i was younger but it was the sort of thing that i know i would have had no time for as a younger person right yeah that i probably would enjoy a bit more today i've played games like it since but um yeah because because the, the deal with the lost vikings is you control a party of three guys through a platform setting each one of them can do one thing and you have to figure out the specific combination of ways to do those things to get through the obstacles that are blocking your way but i did not know that the plot and this is Playing the Mega Drive Mini, I've seen a lot of this stuff recently in video games. Imagine you're one of three Vikings casually walking around, minding your own business, when suddenly you're captured by an alien spaceship. And a video game! Yeah! It's always an alien or something! (laughs) Why why, why does it have to be aliens? Why can't they just do some Viking stuff in Viking times? Oh, you see, I'm the opposite. Never stood in Asterix's way! I'm the opposite. With the exception of Asterix, I would have seen the absence of aliens as an admission that they're doing a boring game <laughs> well you know you could uh, as a kid i probably would have had the same reaction i don't remember but as an adult i'm like it's like when i got to the end of wonder boy and it turned out the final boss was an evil eye brain from outer space and i was like i was playing a cute fantasy game with dragons five minutes ago where did this come from <laughs> aliens so that's lost vikings and then 
Uh, PGA European Tour Golf. And I somehow actually recognise the names of these golfers. Yes. I'm sure oh, you... I saw Nick Faldo, a name I recognise. Yeah, but then I also recognise the name Severiano Ballesteros. Yeah, there's a vague familiarity to it. Just a madman. Just a up, up, and away! Are you ready for the ultimate speed? You'd better be! Sonic the Hedgehog goes supersonic! In Sonic the Poster Mag number 5, on sale June 18th. All of those little boxes, the text is written inside three pluses on either side, making it look as if it's, you know, like, you know, the computer in a spaceship in a sci-fi novel saying it. <laughs> I remember this poster. I had this one on my wall, definitely. Mm. This is a Carl, another Carl Flint image of Sonic transforming into Supersonic. Yes, um, it's a three-part drawing. Yes. One Sonic, one Sonic jumping with gold on yeah. his face, and one Supersonic. Yeah, this is the poster inside Poster Mag number five. None of that, here's a piece of the action trick they've done with the no. last couple where they only showed you a bit of the poster. This is the, uh, this is the whole poster. And, uh, yeah, so... There That's that. I had that on my wall, and we'll talk about the comic surrounding it whenever we talk about it. <laughs> whenever we do, yeah. Skates' Story, Part 4, written by Mark Miller, art by Peter Richardson, letters by Tom Frame. Axel, Blaze, and Max attend Mr. Axe's gala aboard the Princess Grace ferry, but fail to locate the bomb with which the crime lord is intending to blow up the ship. Meanwhile, the contract killer hired by the crooked cops to take out Skates turns out to be Skates' friend Roach, who winds up turning his gun on the cops and setting his buddy free. An injured cop tells Skates about Mr. X's bomb plot in return for medical attention, and Skates sets off to help, but time is running out. Nobody is keeping a leash on Mark anymore. Not in the slightest. <laughs> what? I mean, I'm I'm sure we're both talking about exactly the same thing. We were both taken aback by first panel, second page, cops, corrupt cops that have skids in their in their car boot roll up. Turns out Roach is the guy that they're taking to kill skids. Is you're late? We've been waiting nearly an hour. Sorry, Roach. Traffic was a bitch. Do you know what, Chris? Honestly. I was so immersed in the Mark Miller that I didn't even notice you that. You didn't even notice the nope. B word! To me, I think I was concentrating on the next page where Roach oh, yeah. guns down some cops with his machine guns on panel and you see the bullets going through their chests on panel. Yeah, that also does happen, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no... you know, And then their dead bodies are looted by his friends. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they open up the boot... Um, they say, ice this little punk, and Roach goes, oh man, and he realises it's his friend, and Epizito says, what's the matter, Roach? Can't stand the sight of blood? And Roach slams a clip into his Uzi and goes, <laughs> oh wait, man, I love the sight of blood. I just want to see some of yours. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. It's Jesus. <laughs> I kind of love this. I, I do. Uh, yeah. It's so unchained. <laughs> and and again, as with and I've said this in previous episodes, but like twice in this episode, the what I think of as the Streets of Rage characters, because yeah. they're the main characters of the previous strip, show up and I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah, they're also in this. I mean it is Skates' story. It's Skates' story, so it's perfectly fair, but yeah, it, it always comes as a surprise to be reminded of them 
You know, it's mm. almost... It, it hits me with the same feeling as if, you know, the characters from Golden Axe suddenly showed up in the strip or something. It's like, oh, yeah, these guys as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is their strip too. I do love this bit, actually, here, where the cop tells Skates and Roach about the bomb. And Skates is like, well, we gotta, we got to do something. we got to save those people's lives. And Roach is like... Pfft. And he says, listen to yourself, Skates. You sound like a stinking cop. Just like your old man. And Skid says, my old man's dead, Roach. Slight difference. Oof. Yeah. Proper ice cold 80s movie. Yeah. Scene exit lines, you know. Exeunt. My old man's <laughs> dead. <laughs> and then on the next page, you have the slow zoom in on a bomb across Boop. the page with other Boop. panels in between. Boop. Boop. Next issue. Boom. You know what's funny, though, is like we see Mr. X in this given a speech on the on his fair this is i mean this plot was essentially just set up on the final page of the first chapter three issues ago where what he's done here is he's gathered all the non-bent members of of the police yeah. force and, and society in general the wealthy liberal elite <laughs> who uh, who are still you know good people have all been gathered together on this uh on this ferry, which um, looks like a cruise ship, yeah. to be honest, in the art. And he's going to blow them all up. The only people who aren't in his pocket left, he's going to blow them all up, and then he will own the city. The city is choking on a crime rate almost out of control, and one man has his hands around its throat. Oh, threatens the narration. <laughs> he does a good caption, doesn't matter. But he looks completely different to what he looked like in part one. Yeah. He's all big and huge. I think this rendering is based on how the character actually appears in the game. He's big and beefy oh. and beardy and, and bemulleted. Right. But in the uh, first chapter, the man in charge, uh, who, I, I I mean, maybe that wasn't supposed to be Mr. X, but the way the scene played out yeah. implied that it was. And he was a big, fat, bald-headed, Sydney Greenstreet, cigar-chomping mobster style. I want this man dead. I want his family dead. That, that yeah. Whole, Whereas yeah. here, he looks like Ted Bovis from Heidi High. Yeah, he's a. Uh, I would have said David Zanatos to make a more <laughs> effective '90s children's reference. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that was just a goof that they corrected, or if the guy in the first one. I mean, uh, this guy. What's his name? Uh, Warren, his assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have been him. He's bald. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. He's bald. But I don't really connect... Like, the guy at the start doing his speech is always in the background, so there's a certain sketchiness Mm. to the way he's drawn. Is he meant to be one of the guys that we then see with the helicopter at the end, or not? Yeah, yeah, that's Mr. X. Yeah, but which one? Like, is so is he the one who says, "Here comes our little whirly bird." Yes, Mister X is the bloke with the beard, and I know this because of future issues that I remember. Okay. That's Mister. Okay, X. well, uh, look, I love Peter Richardson's art in this. I don't think those people look similar. I mean, he's got a beard. That's all you need. I mean, you don't see him in detail. That's the funny thing, like, because if it's supposed to be, you have to assume that the character in the first part was supposed to be Mister uh-huh. X because it played as a dramatic. Yeah. Man leans forward out of the shadows into the light, final page, boom, here's the face of the villain moment. Because otherwise, if this was supposed to be the first appearance of Mr. X, you see him sketchily drawn at a distance and the back of his head. Yeah. You don't see him properly. No, you don't. I like Blaze's earrings. I've only just noticed them. Yes. (laughs) They're little fires. Oh, is that what they are? Yeah. Because her name is Blaze. Oh, do you get it? it? Yes, you're right. And then, presumably, Axel has got cufflinks of an axle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
I have no question about how um, Blaze and Axel would have gotten on this ship, because they can clean up all right. But you do have to assume that the fairy stocked with the wealthy liberal elite would probably blink twice <laughs> when the man with the giant red lightning, lightning bolt, bolt tattoo, tattoo over, over his, his eye, eye would, <laughs> would, would, would try and come up on. Or is it supposed to be a scar? Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, perhaps I don't it know. is. It might be, I mean, it's not a criticism of the art because it is just simply the nature of the art where things are drawn with such a broad line. Yeah. News Zone. News Zone. Funny News Zone this week. Interesting um, layout yeah. for the News Zone. Yeah. How do we tackle that? <laughs> well, I mean, basically, we'll tell you why it is and what it is. Yeah. It's that normally the News Zone is a two-page spread, but what they've done here is that they've inserted an ad in the middle. So we get left page, News Zone. Yep. Right-facing page, advert turn the page second page in the news zone right facing page another advert mm. and the the advert is um it's from marco's magic football it's a it's a stereogram or a magic eye yes. picture remember if those you, uh, can, i can you do them dave can you make them work i can yeah yeah some people can't and i couldn't for a long time but i cracked it in the end ah. um yeah so it's a stereogram of marco um and you know if you what happens is it's if you turn the page it just shows you the image of what of what the stereogram is all yes although it's an inexpertly converted stereogram um it looks yeah the, mm. the, his smile in particular looks oh horrible. god it's heinous it's cavernous <laughs> yeah the arm is good it's really three-dimensionally coming out at you and giving you the thumbs up but that yep. mouth is yeah it's because like a big Bam! Dent in it. You're looking at it right now, aren't you? I am looking at it right now. Don't imagine. <laughs> my eyes gone funny. Don't imagine a three D figure with a smile that's kind of you know deep into his head, and we're saying that's the problem. What's up with it is that the whole line, you know, because it's a very simple cartoon drawing, like a Mister Man style, you know, upside down rainbow arch smile, and that whole line is like driven into the face in mm. in deep deep 3d that in a way that widens the line i actually have made these i've made magic oh, eye really? pictures yeah because i had of course they I, I don't think you could do these manually they have to be done by computer yeah and the way that they do it is with a repeat pattern that the computer then adjusts based on the 3d image uh, yeah i had a program on my amiga that made random point stereograms where it would just you know throw up a, a screen full of random dots in different colors and it's in in repeating patterns and it's those that it would adjust to make the 3d and the way that uh, in that program because because in real life what you can do is you could take a photograph of a figure i don't know if this is how they did it but i understand this is one of the ways take a photograph of a physical object that is like white against a black background and the levels of shadow basically Pure white would be the closest thing out in 3D, and pure black would be the furthest thing away. And the shades of grey that lead around it, you know, form the rest of the image, and that's how the computer works it out. On the Amiga, you only had, you know, 16 or 32 colours or whatever, so you drew stripes, essentially. So if you wanted to make a ball, you'd have to do something with a dark outer edge and then a stripe and a stripe and a stripe, like a target. Um, this seems to have been done that way. It's very stark delineation between the layers of the 3D, and it looks very, very odd. So, magic. magic. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> Ought to add, though, that this is not a random point stereogram. This is 
a, a sort of a mash together of sprites and screenshots yes, and things from the from the game. That's what the the image looks like, and then you you stare at it and, and he appears. Bring it together. If you don't know, by the way, the, what the, if you've never, you, gosh, you might not be from the nineties. What a magic eye was was that you because of the repeating pattern, you could fool your eyes. Let, no, let, let's break it down even simpler than that. Okay. So what this page looks like is it looks like it's just it's a blue page covered with little tiny sprite captures yep. of Marco from the games. It just looks like a blank repeating pattern, like a piece of wrapping paper mm. or something. That's all it looks like. And you have to essentially look through the image. You, you look at it and unfocus your eyes. And through the process of sorcerous black magic, that <laughs> makes the... 3D image that has somehow, you know, probably through the sacrifice of an animal, been embedded <laughs> within the pattern it, it appear before you. This is a stereogram. Stare at the image, do not focus on it, and eventually it will appear. Trust Marco. That is sinister, isn't it? But uh, I've always objected to phrases like that, which were used everywhere, you know, unfocus and see through the image. What you're doing, as as any kid know, who ha as any fool know, who happened to have a repeat pattern wallpaper right next to their bed as a child, if you cross or uncross your eyes, doesn't matter which, until the repeat pattern meets. So the same point in the repeated pattern, if you can bring them together... At that point, it's a difficult process if you're not good at crossing your eyes or uncrossing them, but once they start to get close together, once they start to overlap, suddenly your brain goes, oh, oh, I get it. This is normal. I'm always doing this. Things that are out of focus that I want to focus on, I always bring the two versions from my two eyes together. So then suddenly you feel, if you're, if you're doing it the magic eye way, which is you uncross your eyes, don't know why they chose that, it's harder, then you almost fall into the image and suddenly it's bigger and it's wider. And if you are a small child, as I was with a, you know, quite tightly packed repeat pattern uh, wallpaper, if you uncross your eyes, now you can not touch it. You can put your finger on that wall and the wallpaper will appear to be further away than your finger. Or if you cross your eyes, it will appear further in front and you can put your finger through it it feels like magic and it's lots of fun <laughs> so what anyway the actual news zone starting out with a game i had oh uh, yeah take off with bomberman oh, uh, coming coming to the mega drive i got uh, i got mega bomberman for christmas uh, oh. this year in 94 oh. so you know whatever like six months away they did not have uh, much in the way of uh, assets to make this article about bomberman did they no they've obviously been sent a single oh my god wow i didn't really take it in <laughs> oh my gosh so there's ostensibly four images used for this article yep one of them is a red bomberman no background pure white just sprite art of a red bomberman holding up a trophy one of them is of a blue black and white bomberman looking sad with a big cloud of swirly cloud above their heads one of them is of just the three bombermen without the swirly cloud looking sad and the last one is everything i've just described in a single image which is clearly yeah. the one image they were given <laughs> <laughs> that they broke up into four separate pictures to fill the article out. <laughs> oh, hum. I really did enjoy Bomberman quite a lot. I must oh, it say. was fantastic. Yeah. Did you know it was called Dino Blaster? Uh, yeah, I don't think I knew at the time. No. no. But where was it known as Dino Blaster? According to Wikipedia, Dino Blaster is the name given to the European releases of Bomberman on the Turbo Graphics, MS DOS, Amiga, and Atari, Bomberman 2 on the NES, and Atomic Punk on the Game Boy. Uh, what do they say? Uh, no reason why Bomberman. It's a weird way to end it. We reckon there's no reason why Bomberman won't be one of the most entertaining releases of the year. 
that sounds like they had a certain amount Hedge of space in your to bets fill. there yeah <laughs> no i really had a lot of fun with that game never beat oh, it though great oh got to the final boss never beat it oh i never thought of it as the sort of game you do even beat mega bomber man at least i don't know about other ones but mega bomber man had a world system where you were going through and there were bosses dino blaster really did a number on me because it, it you know it, on the amiga it did have the music and mm. i have often been asked particularly by that mutual friend Jeff. Mutual friend. I need to call him Jafar, and he'll be delighted. <laughs> Jahan. Um, that uh, I'm always going around just being. Which is the Bomberman music. And it's just been in my head since the Amiga. It's one of my brain's default tunes. Speaking of things with cracking theme tunes, how's that for a theme <laughs> segue? Very, very good. Tiny Toons Play Ball. Yeah, uh, Tiny Toons Sports. Oh, it's a collision of a wonderful thing with a terrible thing. <laughs> yes, although I'm a thousand percent more interested in playing Tiny Toons Play Ball, it, or whatever this game is actually called, Tiny, Tiny Toons Sports, Sports, it seems to be, yes, from than, Konami. Than any other football game. Yes, uh, four-a-side soccer and three-a-side basketball, simulated in the zany style you'd expect. That said, I did once uh, play the Wii Mario football game thinking much the same thing. Oh, this will be better. Uh, Strikers, I think it was called, Mario Strikers. Yeah. And uh, no, it was an incredibly frustrating experience that was equivalent to trying to play, you know, you know, Smash Brothers without having any idea what a fighting game is or what it is. <laughs> it was just like, okay, no, being into Mario does not help me with this. So yeah, there's going to be a football game with Tiny Toons Yeah, in football game with Tiny Toons. What <laughs> else is going on over the page? Uh, Rocket Knight Returns. I'd forgotten Rocket Knight would have been out by this point uh -huh. already. I had Rocket Knight Adventures, the first Sparkster game for Christmas 93, it must have been. So I didn't even think that the sequel was on the way already. Never played the sequel. Don't know why they just called the sequel Sparkster. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It always, no. always bugs me when they name a game like that or a film like that or something. You know, like, oh, well, now it hasn't got a proper order. <laughs> yeah. John Rambo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rocky Balboa. Exactly. So give it a proper name, Rocket Knight. What was wrong with Rocket Knight Adventures 2? Yeah. Well, maybe it was an attempt to transition Sparkster. Maybe, I mean, uh, yeah. let's be honest. He was another one of those animal mascot types. He was a possum, for goodness sakes. He was another one of those take a weirdo animal and make it do something instead, you know. Yeah. Um, so perhaps this was trying to put his name out there and capitalize upon that by making it the title of the game. Yeah. I really enjoyed Rocket Knight Adventures. There's a bit down at the bottom here, right? Mega CD Games Explosion. Yeah. And I feel like we've heard about all these before. Yeah, yeah. You Mammy Mystery Mansion. Definitely we've heard of that. That was the one where I said the 3D looked impressive for the time, but not really. Yeah, um, Double Switch we've definitely heard of, and I think they made this mistake before where they, they got did, Corey yeah. Hames names wrong. Uh, this is a double error. It says Double yeah. Switch features ex-pop stars Debbie Harry and Corey Hames, brackets, ask your mum or dad. Well... Debbie Harry's a pop star. Yeah, Corey Ham, not Corey Hims. Corey Ham singular isn't isn't a pop star. So I, I, I also don't feel like you need to ask your mum or dad in 1994 who Corey Ham was. No, but you did need to ask who Debbie Harry was. Sure, yeah, that's the thing. So like, I wouldn't. I, I this feels as if there was just a somebody lost track of what they were thinking of in the middle of writing yeah. this. But like, I did wonder. 
Was there a pop star called Corey Hames? I looked it up to be sure, yeah. yeah. But I didn't find one. No, Corey Hames was in Night Trap. Yeah. Well, but what if the person writing this went, oh yeah, Corey Hames from the band da-da-da-da, and just was, <laughs> yeah. just was wrong. Oh, I get it, yeah. But I didn't find any such person, so it must just be just massive amounts of wrongness. Yeah, they're too old, they're not hip and young with the cool trends that the young people are into <laughs> in their Sonic magazine. They mentioned Jurassic Park for the Mega CD, which we've definitely heard about yes. before, but it does stress that it's finally making it yeah. to the Mega CD, so it's taken a while. The only one I don't think they've mentioned in the comic for is Tomcat Alley. Hmm, yeah. Flying a multi-million dollar jet, taking out invading jets in different missions. This has to be the most impressive CD game to date with full screen video and amazing dogfight action. Yes, the only thing is, when I read Tomcat Alley, it made me think that's a plane game. And it is. Yeah, it would be, yeah. Now, how would I know that? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, a Tomcat is a type of plane. Yeah, but I don't know that. Well, anyway, I'm sure it hasn't been mentioned in SDC before, partly because I think we would remember, but partly because none of the uh, Mega CD long play videos have a red bar indicating I've looked at it That you looked at it. (laughs) (laughs) You're looking it up now to see what it looks like. Yeah, and it looks like an FMV-based game oh. it's there's lots of clips of people talking to you i'm trying to see if there's any bits of game that are just game planes and such no i think it is all it's all footage it's just a film really? about planes and presumably at some point you press a button to oh, target any something. inside cockpit views yeah but only for oh, yeah, so it's split a... seconds oh okay that's grim really not long enough to be a get. I, I don't get it i don't know how this works i don't know how you play this oh. game at all Never mind, man. No. And in the short bursts, they just tell Echo 2 coming this September. Uh-huh. Uh, Dynamite Heady, which is on the Mega Drive Mini, but I haven't played it yet. One of the most original games of 1994. It's set to be, it says here. He's a, he's a little little puppet little man who throws his head at his at baddies. <laughs> yes. And um, Snatcher is the name of a new Konami adventure for the Mega CD. I've had a look at Snatcher, have you? No, I haven't. Very interesting looking. I mean, number one, it's a Hideo Kojima game. Oh, well. Yeah. Number two, something or someone in it is called Metal Gear. Oh. And uh, number three, it's just, it's an interesting looking sort of like an adventure game, but not a point and click adventure game, but sort of. It, it, I suppose what it resembles the most is something like, um, oh, what's the fellow's name that's, uh, it's a, DS game about a man doing court and he's a Phoenix lawyer and he right. says objection. Phoenix right. It looks a bit like that sort of thing where you're in places and people's heads pop up and there's text to read and there's things to interact with in a in a limited way. It says here, it's set in the future where the player is a cop who has to hunt down rogue robots and bring them to justice. Mm. A mixture of text, animated pictures and action sequences is used to portray the story. So yeah, with a visual novel sounding style to it. And owners of a justifier, as in the plastic pistol provided with lethal enforcers, can put it to good use in some of the shooting sections. Mm-hmm. I love how the I thought uh, exactly as you did it. <laughs> doing podcasts with the right people (laughs) so that's interesting so it's it's so weird that something like that that's such a titan of the gaming industry an early game by him that i've literally never heard of and it certainly sounds like you hadn't heard of before you're looking it up could just be tucked away in a little box here at the end of the short bit leftover news clippings back in the day tales the morbidden hunt part one Written by Mark Isles, art by Casanovas, colours by John M. Burns, and letters by Elita Fell. 
Tails is summoned back to the Nameless Zone once more, this time by the elders of his village, to rescue two cubs who have been kidnapped by the Goblin Prince Catalus, so that he and his sister Queen Vulpicula can hunt them for sport. As usual, no one will listen to Tails when he tries to tell them Sonic is the real hero, and he reluctantly sets off to do his best. I kind of hate this. Yeah, I don't, because I like the artwork. Yeah, it, it you know I don't hate the art, yeah. but I don't. I also it's it, it's exactly the same problem we ran into the last time we saw a Casanova strip, yep. which was back in issue four, long ago. Uh, long, long ago. But it's like technically beautiful, mm. lovely artwork. Look at that rendition of the Green Hill Zone on the first page. Gorgeous. All the landscape shots of his village, the yeah. individual outfits that all the village elders have been yes. cloaked in. You know. Uh, the goblins look wonderful, yes. horrible, nasty, like they would be sticky if you touched them. Yeah. They're gross, they're awful. Not one of these things looks like it belongs in the world of Sonic. You're absolutely right there, and yes, my the thing I love about the artwork here is all the details in the backgrounds. They are gorgeous. Gorgeous artwork. It's Absolutely 100% gorgeous. It's not a style that is suited at all to drawing Tails-style foxes. I mean, no, to, to be fair to him... He's definitely drawn different things this time. This is not mm. Dave Windit's same face, tails head on all the different fox bodies that we had in the previous tail strip. These are all uniquely drawn creatures, animals, people. Choose your term of choice. Um, yeah, they're, they're so it's it's all great in that. Like, I can't fault it on a technical level in yeah. any way. It's freaking gorgeous. Look at that panel there of Queen Volpecula on her throne. Exactly! It would. What this comic does, what this four-page tale strip does, is it makes me want to read whatever this guy wanted to be doing. Yep. Whatever this guy's creator owned, or you know, or, or, or what he was, whatever he was hired to do that was the most in tune with his drawing style. Because when you see that drawing style, which yeah, the the establishing shot with Queen Volpecula, and she's. It's all the details. The way she's got this this sort of angled bone that she's ripping meat off with her teeth. All of the gold cups and saucers and things in the background with all that bones on and spilling her wine out of. And yeah, drooling down the steps. But then also on the, the the page adjacent to that, you've got tails walking through the village, and you've got this lovely mm. Asterixy village in the background. Very. Like, I, I was going to go Smurfs, but so, yeah, yeah, Asterix. no, it's right between the two, and I want to walk around in it, and it's lovely. I, I mean, we see the same issue we kind of had with that Sonic strip all those issues mm -hmm. ago, where. Even in this first panel, there's a little bear that has come to tell yeah. Sonic that his friend's been dragged off by Badnik, so Sonic zooms off to take care of this problem and Tails gets left behind. That's not a Sonic bear. No, it looks like... It's a, a lovely little cute teddy bear yeah. drawing, but it's not something from the world of Sonic. No, it looks like the one from the Christmas tree train, from um, Chucklewood Critters. It's, it's just a sort of greetings card bear sort of thing. Yeah. But then you see that bear with one eye. With your other eye, you're looking at the bottom of page two where all the mm. cool goblin stuff is going on. And look, it's fantastic. And look at those, those lizard things they're riding there too. Yeah, and the whole feel... The gorgeous landscapes and, and horribly gorgeous monsters. Yeah, and, and whenever... Greasy. Even on the figures in those panels with the goblins, 
the artwork has a thinner, more intricate quality to it. Like, Casanova's is using smaller pens and just getting in and really fiddling with the details, putting ropes and chains on everything and little bits and bobs everywhere. It's when they have to draw a big face that it doesn't quite work. It's fine, but it's not... They're not even that bad. No, they're not. Yeah, like the, like the elder just above on that panel above. But then, but then you look at that panel there where all the elders are lined up around Tails, and it's like even the bodies aren't right. You know, they're they're proper people bodies with just tail, with fox heads. Pretty standard, like anthro-furry type, type figures. They're not in the proportions or the shapes that characters that live in the world of Sonic should should be. Yeah. You know? I mean, sometimes I feel like we can have a bit of a double standard for this sometimes because sometimes Richard Elson will do it and will kind of not really Yeah, yeah you're right there. Mark on it, you know. To redress that balance then, if you flip back, I noticed something really weird about one of Richard's drawings this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you flip back to page five of the Sonic opening strip, the one that's the repeated page. Mm-hmm. Have a look on the panel with the laser and the little Sonic saying, quickly jump into this beam. Yeah. Look at what's going on with his body spikes. Little Sonic in that panel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is weird. See what I mean? So Sonic yeah. is turned to one side to address Sonic, but his body is turned to the other side. But Richard's had trouble there because the spikes yeah. need to go somewhere. Figuring how the spike flow needs to flow. Yeah. So he's done two big spikes on the head and one big spike under them to be the body spike but then on the other side of the body he's done two little spikes so they're they're frankly all over the place in that one and it's given that i've been exposed to that page of sonic art necessarily more times than any other than literally any other page yeah (laughs) except the one i've got up on my wall in real life it's a surprise i never noticed literally never noticed it before now yeah still gorgeous uh, technically yeah absolutely so but i really don't like the way Isles writes tales. Uh-huh. It's slightly informed by memories of what he'll do in future stories and even later in this one. It's not nearly at its worst, but it's just, it's warming me up for how bad it's going to get. Like, tales. I was going to say, I haven't noticed a problem yet. He's so weedy and so pathetic in uh-huh. this. He's so, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, Sonic, oh, phone. he's constantly being interrupted yeah. and talked over, and it's it's not the same way Kitching wrote it. You're right there. I think I quite enjoyed it, though, because it's got this extra gag of, like, how you are when you're with your family, in you know, compared to how you are with your friends, you know? It's like, he's just really browbeaten by all these other foxes, and he can't get a word in, and nobody's listening to him, but also they... They're, they're always, you know, talking him up and he's like, oh yeah, no, he's a big hero but they won't let him speak. <laughs> yeah. But this this one line here as he talks to the, the mother of the cubs that have been captured, he says, if only Sonic were here, that bloody line, yeah. he's going to repeat that line. Like, I think the one time Tails said that during Kitching's run was whenever he was about to be mauled to death by the <laughs> cave beast yeah. and it was like a, a final lament. You know, but that under Isles, that's basically his catchphrase. Right. He's going to say it every issue. Uh-huh. He is this weedy, helpless, oblivious, infantilized version of Tails. This final panel where a griffin is about to lunge down on him and he's just like, sauntering on, at least it's quiet. Not paying any heed to the world around him. A child wandering in the canyon. And it's only going to get worse. Yeah, but it's not so much a problem with this issue. It's just where I know it's going to go. 
Also, why doesn't the armor form around him whenever he comes into the nameless zone? Yes, uh, that was something I noticed. That uh, suddenly he had it on him, and I was thinking, "Oh, did it form around him?" And I went back, and no, there's one no, panel no. where the fox is holding it out to him, and then after that, he's just got it on. So we've got the armor. Yes, it would be so much simpler for them to have it form around him, and then they wouldn't have to bother with that. And this—it's funny because it's—it's it's not the enchanter kings who have summoned him this time. It's no. I'm gonna throw this one over to you, Dave. Okay. Shaman Warpoint. I don't. I yeah. I thought about it. I couldn't find anything. I genuinely wondered about phoning up my mum to see if she could <laughs> think of anything. But um, I mean, the only reason I thought it might be something is because we know Mark Isles yes. has made a shaman reference. Exactly. Before. Exactly. I looked through their discography. I couldn't <laughs> find anything that seemed like it was a reference. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know then. Mm, okay. Also, this bit where the elders don't know Sonic's name is rubbish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That... Your brave deeds, aided by your assistant Tonic. Yeah, and then that one. So that one annoyed me because that's a word. Yeah, and that's just sort of no, that's not very good. But then he says Sonic, and they still get it wrong after that. Oh, never mind oh, this never mind conic. This conic. Ugh, and I don't like that. And yeah. it's second only to another pet peeve of mine, which is when. On an animated series and sometimes live action someone will say a name and then the next character will repeat it back pronouncing it completely differently because they weren't in the studio on the same day <laughs> <laughs> hate that uh and i feel like it's a gag that'll recur as well mm. so basically it's just my knowledge of the fact that everything you see here tales isn't going to grow or get any better and he's only going to get worse and worse right. over the time uh Isles writes him oh well Boo. Lovely art, though. Lovely. Gorgeous. Yeah, I'm still going to be here for this for these backgrounds, and I hope there'll be lots more like them. Graphic Zone! Graphic Zone, shall we? Oh, but Dave. Um, it's our football-themed Graphic Zone. Um, yeah, it does kind of leave you and me at a bit of a, a, a loss for in-depth commentary, doesn't it? Doesn't it? We've What we're looking at is five different drawings of sonic yep. and the main difference between each drawing is the color of the football kit he's wearing in them i thought i would have a little go at guessing right and because the first one it's like a purple and red striped you know kind of like a, yeah. a news zone style color scheme <laughs> yes and it says mufk on it yes. mufc yeah, manchester, manchester united, united football, football club. club great 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 sean summerhide cheshire i can get this yeah. next one ooh, nothing no clues there well, no, the pictures there by Luke Burgess of Weston Super Mayor and Sean yes. Donnelly of Fleetwood Lancashire are both red shirts with the Sharp logo Sharp. on it, which is the same as the logo on Sean Summer from Hayden Cheshire's picture with Muffk on it. Oh. So I'm assuming they must all be Manchester and one is the away kit. And then these two ones in the middle, are they the same as each other as well? Holston on well, one, H what? on the other. Yeah, there is an H on that one, so I'm guessing that is the case. Yes. Oh, we de we detectived it. Oh, we're so good. We're yeah, so good at we football. Are, we are the sports detectives. Yeah. That's, the new, <laughs> that's the gonna be our spin-off podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ian Wallace from Rugby in Warwickshire and Joseph Luckham from Faversham have sent in but we don't know, do we? Uh, what team this is no, it's absolutely no idea white shirt white shorts with holston as the sponsor i can i could try and um try and google it do you know what chris you don't need to 
I knew, I knew that we weren't going to be able to come up with anything for this. Oh, did you get our sports correspondent, Seb Patrick, in? So I am now going to throw over to sports correspondent, Seb Patrick. Thanks, Dave. I'm here at Mobius Stadium, where some very strange things are happening. There seem to be uh, an awful lot of different versions of Sonic the Hedgehog running around the pitch, playing for different football teams in different kits. Here to help me make sense of all of this is football kits expert and pundit Dennis Hurley. Dennis, hello. Hi, Seb. We're going to take a look at some of these kits. The first picture that we see is, has come from Luke Burgess in Western Supermare. I think this is probably, as a drawing, the most technically proficient picture of, of Sonic that we see on this page. Sonic's been drawn in what, Dennis, what appears to be a Manchester United kit, but certainly with some unusual points to it. Talk us through this one. Yeah, like you say, it's very well done, nice, precise outline, good contrast with the blue against the red of the Manchester United shirt. He does seem to have created his own design, a nice, sleek design, very much going against the mid-90s excess, more is more grain. He has gone for the, the black alternative shorts, which is a brave call. And... <laughs> <laughs> I like this. For, for those who don't know, the, the classic Man United combination is generally white shorts and black socks. I wonder if Lucas flipped this because of the fact that Sonic's boots make it look like he's wearing white socks. Below that, we've got Ian Wallace from Rugby. Before I say anything about this and, and maybe a bit more about the context of what's being sent in here, are you able to identify this kit just from what we see? Because it's most of the picture is taken up by Sonic's feet whirring around and rushing, uh, so you can't actually see much of the shirt that he's wearing. But, no, but what do you take like, from this? It looks like a H as the start of the sponsor, so would that indicate that it is Tottenham, like so many others, or is it England? I would be of the belief that it is a Spurs kit, and the reason yeah. for that, I have context that you don't, is that in a previous issue, somebody sent in a drawing of Sonic <laughs> in the Newton Heath green and yellow style Man United away okay. kit, and then somebody else wrote in to say, can somebody please send in a drawing of him playing for Tottenham? And that's why <laughs> I think we've got so many Tottenham kits. I, I like the detail on this, that they seem to have drawn the Premier League badges on the shoulders. That's just not a detail you'd often see in drawings of this type, and, and in fact, none of the other images on this page have got that uh, I like as well the inclusion of the mitre ball I was just going to say I think <laughs> yeah. this is the standout detail from this picture is that uh, uh, I think it's, pretty, it's the most detailed of the balls that we see on this page uh, and, and specifically the mitre ball that was in use in the Premier League around yeah. that time very evocative and very uh, <laughs> I love it I love very it very much it. Uh, helps to date the picture in a good way um, down at the bottom centre of the page we've got another Manchester United kit the identifier of the fact that it's a Man United kit as with all of these kits is the, the Sharp sponsor I'm not sure about that Sharp logo Dennis does that look particularly accurate for the time uh, I presume in the alternative universe that Sean Donnelly is living in he is a brand expert and has suggested that Sharp undertake uh, a new look more of a flowing script which isn't bad to be fair <laughs> it might need a bit of a touch up in Illustrator but there's certainly potential there <laughs> Uh, we then have another Spurs kit, more obviously a Spurs kit this time from Joseph Luckham. Again, though, we seem to have some shorts inconsistency because, uh, as I understand it, around this time, Spurs you know, wore, wore their classic navy shorts. Uh, Joseph has put the Holston sponsor on there. He's, he's given it a V-neck shirt, and he's got white shorts. White shorts on a Spurs kit, Dennis? Yeah, well, traditionally, it's a look reserved for Europe, of course. Uh, they have done in, in domestic home kit a couple of times in recent years. And obviously they did in the early 80s as well. So perhaps this is a tribute to the infamous 1987 FA Cup final 
lost to Coventry when Spurs wore white shorts. <laughs> the other thing I know about this picture is that every other picture on the page, I think, has shown uh, Sonic's spines coming out of the back of the kit that he's wearing. But in this instance, Joseph seems to have drawn them all completely tucked into the kit. So I'm not sure if that makes it uncomfortable for Sonic to play. A very picky referee. Now this last one, the biggest one on the page from Sean Sumner in, in Hyde in Cheshire. What on earth is Sonic the Hedgehog wearing here? I think Sean was probably tapping into the design mores of the mid-90s here. It's different, certainly, and it's original, to be fair to the boy. He, uh... Yeah, it, it doesn't resemble any Man United kit that I've ever no, seen. I wonder if it was maybe an obscure goalie kit. but uh... no. Purple and red is, is definitely something that, that wasn't used by United. Uh, I like how he has, you know, gone in a different direction with the crest, with the MUFC. It is something different, to be fair. Yeah, I, I think probably this one is the least accurate to a specific football kit and colour, and yet it somehow feels the most accurate to, to what 90s football kits looked like, or certainly early 90s football kits. Uh, Dennis, would you pick a, a winner for this page? If you had to judge this page, which would you pick based on either on kit accuracy or qu- just quality of drawing? I think I'd go with Sean, just because he has <laughs> certainly forged his own reality there. Uh, well, thank you, Dennis, for that. Uh, we will hopefully be back for the second half if the transmission doesn't get cut off and, and Dave can't reach the studio again. But uh, until you hear from us again, thank you and goodbye. Thanks, Seb. And Seb and Dennis will be back next issue when they do this damn thing again. (laughs) Oh, that's tremendous. (laughs) Well, we were right. We identified the uh, the, the, uh, tops, uh, but my assumption that that was an away kit was misplaced. Hey, good try, though, eh? We we got two-fifths of the page. (laughs) Thanks to those boomers who inundated STC with soccer picks, it says in the corner. However, please do not send in any further football-related drawings, here, here, <laughs> as a non-Sonic team has already been selected for the next issue of STC, or a non-Sonic team. Oh. We're going to get the Tails and Amys now. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Oh, I hope we see. I hope, oh, I hope we get a footballing Robotnik kicking a little Sonic. Dave, I have uh, a concern. Go on. Uh, that we yeah. are rapidly mm. running out of reasons to even acknowledge uh, this page's existence. Uh, yeah, magazine. yeah. It, it, this is another one of those ones where it's a full two-page spread just telling you how to play a platform game. In this case, the Jungle Book. Yes, for for Master System and Game Gear, not the Mega Drive. Oh yeah. So like, no, there's literally nothing that we can say about. We this. have no commentary. There's nothing. Nothing at all. I can't think of even a single way I can tie this into an anecdote about having gone to Woolworths. <laughs> well, if you can't do that, we truly are ruined. <laughs> it is booted this right is out of the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that then, let's go over to the, oh. the, big, the big talking points of Ooh. this issue with... Pirate STC, Part 1, written and drawn by Stephen Bliss with letters by Steve Potter. Television pirate Fezhead and his cybernetic creation Skull search the airwaves to find the dumbest channel-surfing couch potatoes in the world. (laughs) Just didn't breathe. (laughs) To participate in a... I don't think Steve Bliss did. (laughs) To participate in a mysterious mission. 
when they find one particularly brain-dead group of kids, Skull sucks them and their pet chicken through their television and into a world of serious weirdness. I'm very glad you managed to sum this up because yeah, it's it defies something about the way this is drawn, which I'm not criticising the way this is drawn, but nevertheless... It almost defies reading and understanding this comic. I remember yeah. having tremendous difficulty then, and I had a certain amount now. It is grotesque. Mm. Purposefully. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's very deliberate. But these first two pages... How, well, I was going to say they're supposed to introduce the conceit, but I'm not mm. sure they managed to do that. But the idea is that we have some... We have a, a man, a woman, and a dog sitting on a sofa, picking their noses, watching an advert for Poodle Noodle, mm-hmm. and uh, which is a pot noodle riff. Mm, yep. Essence of Haddock. See, that right, that is one of the things about this comic. Every little joke, they it's not like the joke is that we're doing pot noodle, but it's this. It'll just say stuff. So yeah. one frame, it's a poodle noodle. It's like dog noodles in some way. The next one, taste of haddock. And this keeps going. Like, the jokes are just sort of... It's it's almost like I'm not sure that the guy was necessarily of sound mind when this was created. <laughs> it's very, very... We use the term stream of consciousness to describe someone yeah. else's issue, but it is very random like that. It's just... The, yeah. the idea is that Fez Head and Skull, from their base outside of space and time where they cut into TV broadcasts as in the adverts. Yeah. They're not simply broadcasting a pirate TV signal. They are watching you, the viewer, mm. and they're looking through all of the TV screens in the world for the dumbest, laziest, mouth-breathingest, most mindless channel flippers. Uh-huh. So these first two pages are a sort of introduction to that, where we have a man, a woman, and a dog, each with their finger lodged firmly up their nose as they watch yep. an ad for Poodle Noodle, and then Skull bursts out of their television and sucks them in. Yeah. And the figures from the advert, too, it seems. No, no, I tell you what, no, you know what? I I, uh, I realized what he's actually done. Okay. Uh, he does, and I'm literally realizing this only for the first time now, okay. 26 years later, <laughs> he doesn't suck in the people that are watching the program. He sucks up all the characters from the Poodle Noodle ad, yes. sticks his head out the television, and spits them out into oh! the people's living room. Oh! The... Oh, you see, that is exactly the sort of thing. I think, yeah, I've always thought he sucks them in, and so is that going to affect my reading of the whole thing up till now? Yeah, because he quite possibly he because, does definitely suck the kids at the end of the yeah. comic in. He definitely, definitely sucks them in. But yeah, because there are only a man, a woman, and a dog, and then there are more characters here in the final panel that confused me for a second, and I'm only yeah. now realizing that's the man and that's the dog as they flee in terror from yeah. the uh, the characters from the advert being spat out at them. Yes. Which then, I realize now, leads into Skull's next line of dialogue, which is a good joke, okay. when he pops out of the screen in Fez Head's command centre and goes, Hey boss, I've been redecorating with Poodle Noodle. It looked good on the TV and on the walls and on the sofa. Oh, okay, that is a good joke. Because he has sprayed Poodle Noodle out of the television everywhere. Yes, but the... Ca- okay, so so great, that makes a lot more sense. But an- another added level of like, what? Is that the character that says this is Skull, but the drawing that he is at the moment is of this shaft of stretchy yep. silver space meat that's like stretching out silver of a screen. Silver space meat. <laughs> <laughs> silver space sausage. 
Yeah, with with the face of Skull like stretched back, kind of like that time Sonic ran round the whole world in thirty seconds. I mean, or I would like, liken it stretched. to if you cast your mind back to the nineties and uh-huh. what CGI, very yeah. lawnmower manny sort of oh, liquid yeah, stretching, the face stretching. The, that as yeah. he bursts out of the TV and he's a big long streamer of that. And it's it's fascinating because the drawing, so the art style here. It kind of looks... What do you think to, to this? It kind of looks like someone drawing like a Muppets comic or something. Or like... like a, I know. No. A comic based on the Dolmio puppet family. It looks like puppets to me, this I stuff. can see... I, I mean, it's... Yes, but no. In that it's... I don't know if anarchic is enough of a word to describe no. it. Pure chaos. Yes. Stretchy. Distro- there, there is no model for this to be on. Everything no. is distended, distorted. It's like somewhere between Milton Knight and Spunko. Yeah. And, and a, a little bit even of like our crumbs sometimes yep. with the exaggerated limbs and shoes. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, okay, if you look at the bottom left, uh, the pirate STC panel, which is easy to miss the logo appearing because mm. it happens as a sort of a jumble in the corner of the panel where he's spitting everybody out and it's half the page. Bottom left of that, the dog, his eyes, his two eyes are just on different planes of existence, the way they're positioned. The dog looks like melting butter. Everything does. Everything looks like it's made out of something that's melting. Yeah, it, they look like made of goo. They're, they're like yeah. sacks of of, Inc- of viscous liquid, including the panels, the the actual shapes and borders of the panels. Nothing. Oh yeah, there's nothing, no grid system here. No, no, no. But not in a not in a, a like I've previously praised the way that that's handled in Shinobi. Sure. Here, it's like everything's just blobbing all over the place. There's no connection between the edges of anything at all. Uh, and during all this, while you're trying to even figure out what you're looking at, it takes place in three different realities. One is like adverts, yeah. which keep popping up on TV screens that are some of the panels. Yeah. Sometimes you're in one living room full of the people with their fingers up their noses. Who are watching the adverts. Yeah. Sometimes you're in this other living room, the green living room, where well, well, that's, the people... That's- that is when the scene changes at the end of the yeah. comic. So that's not, yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, but it's only four pages long, yeah, yeah. so it's kind of confusing in that way as well. well. Yeah, but the third, the third reality is wherever it is that Fez Head and Skull live. Yeah, yeah, which seems to be, I, I think it's supposed to be a kind of a control center yeah. with a wall of TV yes, yes, screens, yes. but. But you almost can't ever see it no. because there's so much blobbiness going on that the characters fill the panels and you just have to notice there are these little square panels in the background. Usually you can only see one or two at a time. Um, oh, it's... And by the way, this isn't me really, like... I'm not ragging on it exactly No, no. Here. It's fascinating to look at. Yes. It's what it is, is it's extremely anarchic indie comics with an X. Very. Somehow appearing in this. Um... Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he it's like he, he's taken the conceit of there being a Sega pirate TV broadcast yeah. and grafted a kind of story onto it. Like, what's the purpose of the yeah. pirate Sega channel thing that exists in real life? And it's like, this is the secret story behind it. A pair of evil time travelers who are... I mean, was it so that we, we get FIB information cards about Fezhead and Skull to tell us who they are. And Fezhead is a computer psycho genius and a master of molecular restructure. And the, the... I mean, look, it says a lot that the last panel of the entire thing is just a chicken yeah. who... 
as I look back over the comic, I realize has been in the scene the whole time. Yeah, yeah, he's there. He's, he's there, Pat. I remember from future issues that his name is Dog. Okay, I quite like that. Yes. But in this last panel is literally just a close-up of him doing a waggly dance flail and saying, that's the last time I drink space dust lemonade. Well, I don't think this was the first or last time that Steve Bliss had drunk Space Dust Lemonade. <laughs> Honestly, this comic is... And this is the chicken reacting in shock to the fact that Skull has popped out and sucked the kids through. The chicken goes yeah. through as well. I know from... I remember, but... Yeah. but but it does it acts as if it's been left behind in the room here but it's uh, just doing a to, a to camera there yeah yeah it's a bit kennedy cartoons it, it makes mm. me think of of the wild sort of again it's a very very specific pool based on something we've seen this issue already do you remember those episodes of tiny tunes that had a very specific exaggerated sort of movement style and a sort of yeah. dance and walk cycle that would repeat the one it, are those the ones where they would always do these kicky dances yeah 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 that, that is I exactly. wish I knew I wish I knew the guy's name but that is down to one lead animator oh. who who like Tiny Toons fans have like hate for Oh really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he worked on a few things. He Oh, I tell you what, he was the lead on a pup named Scooby Doo. So oh, picture yeah. that oh, in your yeah, head. That, yeah, that's exactly yeah, that's <laughs> Yep. That kind of hypermotion. Yeah. yeah. This is wild like there are good gags buried oh, in yeah. there. like the, the kids cl- i love this these bits with the kids clicking through the channels you know we get a tv show called bulldog and bulldog and it's like you ain't buying me with dog meat chuck maloney it's bulldog and bulldog detectives but then anyway they click the channel over to another advert and it's like why not wife runs for the man who likes to say why not <laughs> and it's a guy with boxing gloves who's just in a pair of wife runs and his face is almost split down the middle yep. again with that puppety look that i'm talking about that's a very puppety look yes, yeah that, yeah like the jaw the lower jaw it had there is a line all the way across the head and the lower jaw is a separate piece oh it's so weird and his eyebrows are just drawn on and his eyes it's like the guy just closes his eyes and draws sweeping shapes and then see opens his eyes and oh, sees what he see did what's and happened, yeah. makes a character out of that it's it's mad like the upper and lower teeth of most characters exist on different axes of reality first page third tv down the blue haired guy has got two separate sets of top teeth he does, yep, you're right. No, yeah, what's that all about? It's so creepy. This guy works by just whip, whip, whip with a pen. Whap, 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 whap. Here's what I drew. Squish, 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 squish. Here's what I drew. But I mean, I think, I think it's a it's a deliberate thing to, to make it, yep. you know, he's got a huge fake grin like like a big man. Yeah. Look at all the other characters are all the same. The big rictus grin of a spokesman. That's right. And the thing is, on the first panel, uh, the opening panel where we see him for the first time, that top set of teeth you can see the genesis of it in the way that he's drawn the lips but then in the mm. third one he's just also drawn the lines that make them teeth yeah on, but then yeah. he's he's also just gone ah sorry and he's just drawn the, the teeth as well and like more teeth it is an amazing way of working it is making a kiora reference there too oh where we all adore oh, yes. noodle aura yeah kiora ladies and gentlemen was a, a an orange <laughs> dilute drink with a remarkably racist marketing yeah. Sega snot products. I can't believe it's yeah. not snot now in cans. The perfect present yeah. for those you care less about. <laughs> and it's just like a little, he's holding a little can of tuna, as it were. But yeah. it says Sega on it, and it's full of snot, apparently. Apparently. Well, it's not snot. I suppose it's not. No, it's now in cans. Yeah. <laughs> this comic! Have I told you my, when I encountered Steve Bliss in the wild? When I was... 
12. So this year, mm. towards the end of this year, I was taken to a theatrical production of Gargling with Jelly. Never heard of it. Gargling with Jelly was a book of children's poems by Brian Patton. And it was, you know, it was just one of those silly books that, you know, like you please Mrs. Butler's and things like that, just book of kids verse. And I went and I saw a live theatrical production of this and it was done in a what they call a studio theatre which in this case was basically just a weird it wasn't a, there wasn't a stage and an audience it was just a weird little rectangular room with some seats arranged wherever the production happened to decide to put them and they were just sort of running around in between you and doing their bits and all around the walls were just this oh. just illustrations like this and you know and of course at the time I was like whoa wait a minute that looks just like... I bet that's painted by the same bloke who drew Pirate STC. So maybe Steve Bliss is local to Coventry, which is where we were seeing this, at the at the Belgrade's studio theatre around the back of it. That tells me something interesting, because the, that means that that was how Steve Bliss drew in those days. Yeah. That wasn't... This wasn't an, a style he adopted for this, because yes... Everyone listening to this, you know Steve Bliss. You know this artist, but you've never seen him draw like this. Because this is the guy who, since 2001, I've, I've read, has done all of the promotional illustrations and cover artwork for the Grand Theft Auto games. So, all those billboards, all those, you know, controversial bikini models, all of that... The you know the Vice City those those uh, covers that were like split up into squares he did those and he's still doing them now I think he did some for Red Dead Two he's still working at Rockstar now and that is who we're looking at here but it's nothing but like but you wouldn't know it no it nobody ever knows it whenever you look it up and you're like whoa everyone who looks it up for the first time and finds out what he's been doing now someone tweeted us about it just the other day like have you seen what he does now yeah it's always a surprise i do remember that this sort of starts to come together into something a bit more coherent as we oh, go oh really yeah i mean th this first one is mayhem mm. it's not like it ever makes sense but you get a you get an idea of where characters are and what they're doing <laughs> i know that i had stopped trying to read it by that time <laughs> right. i could not figure out what was happening in front of me it was like my mum watching that roger rabbit or that wuzzles episode i <laughs> simply couldn't tell what was happening in front of me want to watch mexican avocado pundit bandits no bulldog and bulldogs on channel 232 that was that would have been a joke in itself having lots of channels that was like mm -hmm. a can you imagine the excess of having more than Five channels. <laughs> More than four channels in those days. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm from Ireland, so we had two extra channels. D two? Did you really? Well, I, I happened to be down near the border, so if you were you know, if you're up in Belfast or somewhere, you wouldn't necessarily get the uh, oh, RTE 1 and right. Network 2. And also Teenagey, the, the all-Irish channel. <laughs> actually broadcast in the Irish language. So three, technically, but obviously wow. didn't watch the one in Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so that is Pirate STC. And what a thing it is. <laughs> Next issue, The Wrath of the Coach Potatoes. Will they be boiled or just mashed? Okay. He has used the word mashed in the panel next to the one where he's used the phrase space dust. This is deliberate. If I feel like your voyages into the uh, druggy underbelly of Manchester. I'd strip my own. <laughs> this is the druggy bit of STC. 
Dave, come on now. You and I both know there's nothing <laughs> less interesting than reading something weird and wacky and going, What drugs were they on when they made this? <laughs> Whoa! You're 100% correct there. But how else are we to approach this? Look at it. Can I have some? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't put that in because we used that in our uh, Mario Land song. (laughs) (laughs) So you did. (laughs) I think I still will. Speedlines. Speedlines. Boing er. Boing er. In. There's one letter in here that outstrips <laughs> all the others. Damn, we gotta save it for the end. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Oh, all right. Yeah. So what? What do we got? Um, uh, Eden Gilroy from Lake and Heath in Suffolk says uh, he was reading an old issue of STC and it slipped from his hands, but he caught it by one of the pages and all the staples came out. And he wants to know if they can repair his damaged comic. And Megadroid is like, uh, he doesn't say. No, stupid. <laughs> but instead gives him a comedic direct list of directions to blue tack your STC to your desk surface before reading it. Wear gloves and avoid eating, drinking and heavy breathing whilst around it. I feel Aidan Gilroy's pain. Yeah. My STCs fell apart with alarming frequency. The covers could be yeah. off them before the day was out sometimes. What were genuinely. we doing? I don't were know. We, were we lifting them by the cover and like throwing them around? Or like, how did it happen? I don't know. I feel like my brothers were responsible sometimes. <laughs> they weren't as careful with them as I was. But but that might just be what I've told myself over it the years. It may be. But I the, mean, I have I have but the one brother, and he, he wasn't a he wasn't the rough sort. I think it, comics would have been fine under his stewardship. Yeah, I don't know. It it must have been me, but I don't know how I did it. I can't I can't remember any of these other letters. They've no, just been know, erased right. from my mind by the, the one. Pick another one for us there, Dave. Call my bluff. Dolphin Lungaroon writes. Mm. No. Mm. Definitely not. No. That is a fake name. Dolph Lundgren was a thing at the time. Yes, but I'm assuming it was sent in. It was a fake name used by the person who wrote the letter. Yes. Yeah, true. Yes, I believe the letter because... Yes. There's no point doing it otherwise. Dear Megadroid, for months now I've been trying to figure out what you are. At last, I have the answer. You're a phony! Your head is the front of a Sega Mega Drive cartridge insert and your eyes are a Mega Drive control pad. I also know you're a wimp because my friend wrote in telling you so and all you did was send Sonic and Tails to beat him up. Well, why don't you do that to me? And that, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's from Dolphin Lungaroon, who has not sent in their full name and address, and Megadroid replies, Hope you enjoyed the echo strip, Dolphin. Hey. And it's like Dolphin. You know, but that, that's what tells you that it must have been the person who wrote the list who came up with the name because otherwise they just it's essentially Richard Burton congratulating himself on the yeah. fake name he made up yeah <laughs> <laughs> I would come round and pay my respects but you conveniently forgot to tell me your address Emma Harrison has a similarly odd problem in that when she reaches the part in Paperboy 2 where the dog runs out into the road, her own dog runs around the room barking like a mad thing. Oh, like that? Yeah, Megadroid says, just be thankful your parents don't react the same way. Ah! Shall we talk about these two pictures maybe before yeah, we go in on the patient zero we, um... over here? Yeah. Uh, a horror theme on the picture yes. this week. We have a spooky tales from Stuart Hurd. In- I love this one. I love it. It's just, you know, a ghost that you draw, like just a sheet. Yep. It's just that. But he's got tails, his, one of tails, his tails poking out and just the tips of his toes poking out as well. And that was <laughs> worth printing. 
And then uh, Ben Uren from Millam in Cumbria has drawn a rather nice Franken Sonic. Yeah, it's quite good, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a green Sonic with uh, scars, big black rings around his eyes. It's scars, I should say, stitches. And, oh, yeah. uh, I love his big platform sneakers, too. I, see, I really like the attention to detail with that one. Yeah, and he's got a checkerboard jacket and everything, mm. but not Sonic checkerboard colours. It's, no, black, it's and black and green. green. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Kevin Rooks from <laughs> Basingstoke, on the other hand, seeks attention to a particular <laughs> point of detail. <laughs> Dear STC, I am disappointed that Sonic's feet, brackets, minus sneakers are never shown. Therefore, could you please get one of your artists to draw in Sonic's bare feet Whoa. in a future story? Oh, you're making it ten times worse. <laughs> oh, I don't think God. I can, but Megadroid makes it ten times better. Yep, Megadroid <laughs> has this lad's number and says, so when did you first realise you had a foot fetish, Kevin? <laughs> We have said several times on this podcast that Sonic fan art and fan works have a certain reputation. And here we see, even in our innocent youths... Is there anyone listening to this podcast who has never seen a fan art drawing of Sonic's feet? Because <laughs> I sure have. I feel like I've seen one recently. I feel like this letter... <laughs> Was what first made me aware of the fact that that we'd never but seen had a foot Sonic fetish, without yeah. sneakers, <laughs> because it did mean that there's an episode of the Adventures cartoon where Sonic's mm-hmm. sneakers get stolen. Oh wait, yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh, there, there's for that lad. Then there you go. When I saw the cartoon, I was like, oh, that lad will be happy with that then. Uh- <laughs> Oh, Kevin Rooks, Basingstoke, Hampshire, write in. <laughs> or preferably don't. Preferably go into hiding, but write in. <laughs> oh, if that, if oh, no. I, <laughs> Surely there's not going to be a single person, there is not going to be a single letter anywhere else in any issue of STC whose writer cringes about it more than the, poor old Kevin yeah. Rooks of Basingstoke does today. <laughs> he didn't mean anything by it. Probably. Probably I mean, not. Probably not at the time, but... He probably like, just wanted to know knows? how to draw him or something, maybe, you know? Well, I don't know. Maybe this helped Kevin come to terms with himself. Who knows? Or, mate, listen, we don't know if Kevin Rooks of Basingstoke, Hampshire, was 54. Well, that's true. <laughs> and neither does the editorial team, unless it said, <laughs> unless it said on the letter, Kevin Rooks, 54. <laughs> Brackets. Little Kevin Rooks. <laughs> <sighs> Nothing in uh, in our mailbag, is there, Dave? Uh, this is from Ben from the 757 in Virginia. Greetings, Chris and Dave. Much enjoying the podcast, despite being a, in brackets, lightly sassy British term for an American, and having only been born in 94. Oh. Aside from the general charm of you two, brackets and Abby, your perspectives that mix technical insights to comics and storytelling with a very refreshing, untoxic fandom yeah. and an education of British pop culture in the 90s make for a delightful few hours of my week. Not to mention the mere concept of not only editing a podcast to this degree, but even putting in footnotes in post is a touch revolutionary. Excellent work all around. That's all, Dave. Nice to hear these things from an artist, isn't it? I had not actually heard of SDC before I started the first episode. Really? Twitter- Wow, there you go. Twitter manga expert at Maxi the Bee had listed STCTP as one of their favourite podcasts in a Twitter Q&A thread. Oh, 
Thanks, MaxiDB. When my general Sonic nostalgia finally got the better of me. While the Sonic games you grew up with were not mine, aside from 15 minutes of Sonic the Fighters at a Chuck E. Cheese once, my <laughs> first was Heroes, your distinction of STC as being the only adaptation faithful to the world of the game struck a note with me, and I realise now it's because that's ostensibly why Hidden Orikusaka's Pokemon Adventures manga, quite right, was quite special to me and a lot of others among a hodgepodge of Pokemon media growing up. Seconded. My question for you is... The quality of the 3D Sonics aside, what was it like as fans for the sound of Sonic to switch from your Casino Night Zone chip tunes and such to John Sinaway's Scar songs extolling friendship headbangers about being truly ambivalent to good and evil, Knuckles rapping about ghosts and bio-lizard rave tracks essentially overnight? <laughs> to conclude, I shall leave you with the thought that's been haunting my brain ever since hearing your VHS rental debacle. Hurotsuki Doji? Yurotsuki Doji. <laughs> Gosh, I that, that's a lovely yeah. letter. Uh, I really wish I had a good answer for the question, though, because, uh -huh. um, as I think I've said a few times on this show, I did not play the Dreamcast games at the time. So the whole world of 3D Sonic, aside from... I, I, my memory is that I played City Escape, or part of mm -hmm. City Escape, in a shop ah. somewhere you know in like a yeah. demo uh set up somewhere and i think i was on holiday when that happened so it wasn't even at home or uh -huh. anything so uh you know it being in a in a shop then i wouldn't have had uh, been able to hear it yeah. properly so i think it was just the songs were just something i sort of had secondhand knowledge of existing so by the time i actually did play the games and then hear them it was like oh that's that then so i did not have the overnight switch right but the only way i could put it is that everything bloody else changed about sonic yeah. so why wouldn't the music yeah yeah and and that's that comes from from like the perspective of a uk fan where our our our, our sonic disappeared as well you know uh, the yeah. the uk the lore the the kintamore origin the whole world that we had up to that point been able to imagine as true to the games just ceased to be it was now it was now not that the characters look different the levels look different why wouldn't the music be different whatever mm -hmm. you know yeah well i do have a story to tell there which was that um i was following the news about sonic adventure very 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 carefully i was you know downloading the little um real media videos of of tv adverts in japan what must have been a year and a half maybe before it came out here and um just marveling over it so i did know about the change in the music particularly the open your heart song i'd heard a version of that that was like an early demo version of that sung by somebody else sung by someone who very clearly doesn't speak english or understand what the words they're singing are you And so, I, in my, what must have been my, my last or second to last year of school, uh, in the, the sixth form, I went as far as to import from Japan Digilog Conversation, which is the name of the soundtrack album to Sonic Adventure. A double disca and a beautiful item. Um, and one of the most conflicting albums I own. I, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> but I love it and I will never be rid of it my opinion of it keeps fluctuating and changing as I remember bits and going like oh yeah I remember that oh I like that and then oh I hate that one 
There's something about the sound to this that honestly makes me feel a bit sick. Yeah. I don't know what it was about what John was doing with his guitar in those days, but he didn't so much play a note as slide around a note. And that is very clever, and he, there's one in particular, I don't know the names of the tracks, I can't even remember what bit of the game they are, but there's one in particular where the, the, the note is like... Oh my god. I actually know the one you mean. Yeah. <laughs> that somehow managed It to... might be one of the fishing levels. Well, that was bone deep in there. Suddenly... You know? Yeah. Because what's weird and interesting about that is that never... Does that and I, and that, I don't think that is John on his guitar. I think that's synthesized, but I'm not sure. But never does it once actually stop on the note. It's, <laughs> it's like it's just swinging round. It's almost like the um, you know like a darts mini game in a GTA or something where the hand is moving and if you can just perceive it at the right moment, if you can press A at the right moment, you'll get the dart towards where you want. But it's flowing and moving around, and yet. As you're listening to it, you know what the tune is. It's do 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 do. It's weird how it, that works, but that sound. See, I didn't recognize that at all. But the <laughs> I did recognize. It makes me ill. It it's so strange. And then there are other tracks which are really jazzy and interesting. There's loads on this album that I'm interested in and that I love. And overall, I think it's revolting and I hate it. And nowhere near the soundtracks to the first Sonic games. One, two, three, and Knuckles, CD. There isn't a dead track in any of those games that I won't listen to and love. Great, great, all the way through, brilliant. Love them, love them, love them. Sonic Adventure, it's like an endurance test to me. It's like wading through treacle and custard, but... Not in a good way. <laughs> like, City Escape from 2 is a certified that banger. certified banger, yeah. Always. Uh, I remember the first one I think I was truly exposed to was the Sonic Heroes theme, because that I, I, yeah. I, I didn't play the adventure games, I didn't own Dreamcast. Yeah, Sonic Heroes. I remember I enjoyed the Sonic Heroes theme. Uh, Sonic Heroes. Sonic Heroes. And then the, then the, the, it's like, yeah, those are definitely English words, but I'm not sure that is a sensible sentence you're putting them together into. Oh my God, but that's the thing. The song's even like as far back as Sonic Adventure. It's like crowbarring words into shapes they do not belong in. <laughs> yeah. But then Sonic Adventure 2 took three full songs from Sonic Adventure 1 and just wrote new tunes to them, but oh, kept the same words. Yep. Which now didn't fit those tunes. Oh. So Sonic's theme...
was further tortured still. Sonic was further tortured does describe the early 3D <laughs> era pretty well. I don't have that many complaints about the songs in the first Sonic Adventure, and I think some of them are brilliant. Hey, big guy, hey, little guy, that's genius. The instrumental break in Amy's song, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's all good. That's a good. That's a good song, apart from the Sphinx stuff. But it's still kind of cool. No, don't like that. Don't like that one. That can get. I hate that one. The bass line doesn't do anything different from like the guitar line, and it's just. It's gross. Oh, I just thought about it. I'm just remembering the sounds. I think after Heroes, it would have been Shadow the Hedgehog would have been the next tunes that I only remember the the theme tune, which is it's a very pounding so Happy life, feel no evil. Black riding's on the wall. Ooh, the edge! Uh, I had stopped buying the music or listening to it, so I've never learned any of the songs from that game. Um, but meanwhile, Sonic's 1, 2, 3, Knuckles, and CD, both versions of CD, by the way, I'll allow the American version. Great. <laughs> Certified bops. Yep, boxes of bops. Bops in a box. Yeah, so. So I don't like it, is the answer. <laughs> so you don't like it, and I didn't live through it. <laughs> But I ought to admit that when I imported that CD, I was very excited about it. Very drunk at the time. For the the months leading up to it, I listened to it over and over again. I may have said this already on the podcast, but that, after a lifetime of playing loud music and singing along and things like this and children's albums that I still have to this day, that was the one time when my mum said to me, can we stop listening to this CD, please? <laughs> and when she said it, it actually was a bit of relief. Yeah. I was like, I don't have to you pretend know what? anymore. Yeah. I'd like to stop listening to it now. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a music guy, you know, so I don't listen to music, you know. I'm boring yeah. that way. Yeah. Boring and artless with That's, a hole in my soul. That, that is way. very odd. So the music that I associate things with does tend to be scores and soundtracks and things like that. And then that's because that's all tied up in the emotion and the experience of actually watching the show or the film or playing the game. So that's why I don't judge anybody who likes a song like that and thinks it's good too harshly the way you viciously did. Um, because I understand how positive emotions yeah. connected to things like that can change that for you and the meaning of that yes, for you. Yes, exactly. I absolutely can't talk. Like, I, one of my favourite albums is a Cabbage Patch Kids tie-in. I, there's, I have no leg to you stand up You rocked out with that Father Abraham Smurf exactly. tune a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> so there's nothing I can... You know, I, I'm not a position of authority here. But good God, some of the... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a very nice letter, Ben. Thank you very much. Hope you continue to listen to the show. Uh, uh, wish we'd had more of a, a technical answer to the question instead of just going off on one. But <laughs> that does describe this show. <laughs> And if you'd like to write to Speedlines and get your letter read out on air, then that is stctpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, that is going to do it for issue 20, yeah. I think. Wouldn't you agree, Dave? I Next agree. issue, it's an amazing oh. compo. Hey, an amazing mm-hmm. one. It is a, do you know what? It is. Uh, this, yeah. Imagine winning this. Yeah, back then. Even now. Now, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not a very interesting next issue page this time. It's a it's a plain orange thing with a gradient on it and a photograph of a multi-mega pasted That's on top. That's true, of it. but if you like looking at a photograph of a multi-mega as I did, you you, you forgave it. Multi-megas must be one. Plus Sonic the Sentinel. Streets <laughs> of Rage. Streets ahead with Skates' story. Tales. Will he come to armor? What? I mean, will he... It's supposed to be... It's another one of these tortured puns, like, on the cover. It's supposed to be, will he come to harm? Oh, uh, God! I haven't even... Yeah. Didn't even get that far. Wow. Pirate STC. <laughs> More waggish weirdness. <laughs> Only in STC 29. Hot even if the weather's not. I wonder if we were having a particularly cool summer in 1994. On sale Saturday, the 25th of June, Oh, ten. But before then, the summer special and the poster oh. mag. Oh. We, we will do our best to get those done and out for you. In, in Well, we'll again, we'll probably do it the last time. We had two things piled up. Mm. We'll release one first and then wait two weeks yeah. and then in the other off week rather than... we can't You can't match that release schedule. We don't have the resources of Fleetway. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, when you're uh, looking for that, or the summer special, or the poster mag, or whatever else, or if you want to go back and listen to some older episodes, do it. There's loads of them. There's a year of them. Uh, yeah, a whole year. I mean, this is this is for issue one of year two, isn't it? We didn't yeah. even mention it, but there you go, year two. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Oh my word! Well, you can get the show on Apple Podcasts uh, and everywhere that good podcasts are sold. But if you get it from wherever you get it from, leave us a review because they all get collated out there in the cloud somewhere, and it's always nice to read them. <laughs> Um, uh, or you can download it directly from stctp.wigglehe.com. That's right, and you can harass us directly on Twitter. We've got at Sonic Podcast for the podcast, and we've got separate ones as well. I'm Demon Tomato Dave. And I am at Chris McFeely, and we're also both on YouTube under those names, where I do a series called Transformers The Basics, explaining that stupid cartoon robot franchise to young people. And I just noodle about when the uh, when the muse hits me. But if you want to hear me a bit more regularly than that, you can find my other podcast, Serious Disney, which is about animation and animation adjacent nonsense. Soon we're going to be having an episode of, out about the uh, the Beauty and the Beast remake. And foof, oh no, <laughs> If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so at Patreon.com/stctp. Our opening theme tune was synchronized by Sonic the Comic the band. You can find them at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But this has been Sonic the Comic, the podcast. We will see you next time. Rolling around at the speed of sound. Got places to go. Gotta follow my rainbow. Butt rock.